Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I am excited to introduce um, my good friend, Rhonda Eggleston, to you today. Rhonda and I have been in home group together for the last few years, and um, she just really feels like a sister to me. And um, I'm excited for what God has put on her heart and what she has, how God will teach us through her today. So let's join together in prayer for Rhonda and for us as we engage in this time. Father, we just... Praise your name. We thank you for what you have taught us so far this morning. We look forward to how you will continue to teach us uh, through your servant, Rhonda. God, would you just give her um, confidence and the courage that she needs to share what what you've placed on her heart? Would you give us just um, attention, help us to focus, not to be thinking about everything else we have to do today? Um, We just, God, we want to hear from you. We're excited to hear from you. So teach us today and encourage us in your word. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Last year, I was sitting like right there in the middle, and I've spoken in front of people before, and but not quite this big, not with a microphone, not with a clicker. I've got the clicker. And I was listening to the wonderful teaching, and I thought, you know, I, I don't miss that. I don't need to do that. <laughs> and two weeks later, Amy said, Rhonda, <laughs> isn't that how he works? And I just, I was thinking about that a lot as I was getting this talk ready. So my friend Juliet's here. Raise, wave your hand, Juliet. No, hi, they want to see you. And we get together, I've just opened a bed and breakfast in Belton, and we get together on Tuesdays, and she helps me clean my B&B, and we have Tasting Tuesdays. That's my, her payment, is I feed her. So I try out new recipes on her. But the thing that I love about my sister is that we have very different backgrounds, but we love to study the Word together. And so this morning, I'm going to pretend that we're at Tasting Tuesdays, and you're all, we're just going to share the word together. <laughs> so we're going to start off, and I just, we've had some wonderful lessons leading up to, in today's portion of the text. The first week, Karen Smith taught us of the chiasm, Karen, where are you? How do you say that word? Okay, Amy said it. Literary technique was used in the first chapter of Joshua, and that the motif presented embodied with, coincided with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It was an insightful example of being able to see Christ in all scripture through a literary technique. Shelley then taught us that while Rahab was a heroine in the story of Joshua, the true hero, hero is the Lord God, and that our hero pursues us, reveals himself to us, and offers salvation. Last week, Karen Jennings spoke to us regarding God's commands to prepare for his work. God God displays his power as Lord, and together, we as his believers proclaim the Lord's might to all. This week, we studied chapters, excuse me, Joshua's chapters, Joshua 5 through 6, that include the Battle of Jericho. The story of Jericho is famous. For many unchurched people know the story of Jericho, probably because of the old spiritual, which just happens to be included on We Sing's Bible, Songs for Children. I thought about playing a video that I found on YouTube, but it it triggered my minivans and days of exhaustion days. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. 
So for the next little while, we're going to dig a little bit deeper and look a little more carefully to wrap up our, our Jericho week of study. We will conclude this week's study by considering what the story teaches us about God and how every step the Israelites marched around Jericho was one step closer to Jesus making his arrival here on earth. So first, we're going to start with prayer. Lord, I ask that we trust in the truth of your judgment. Lord, I ask that you help us to see that even though it seems very harsh, Lord, that you are good and right and true, and we need to hold steady, keep digging, and look for your guidance in this. Lord, I ask that you help us to not just take these lessons as a self-help lesson, but that we're able to take our focus out to all of God's people and all the lost world. Lord, help us to focus, help us to be your women. All this I pray in your name. Amen. The Lord titled this chapter, God Leads to Victory His Way. I love that title. But, but and that is an all caps but, we must define victory as God would define it. I was going to wear my, the St. Louis Cardinals, we big St. Louis Cardinals fans. I was going to wear, they clinched this week. <laughs> They're going to the playoffs. So I was going to wear that. But I want us to focus on God's, God's standard of victory and what, how he plans that victory. But the way the Israelites won that victory defies our frail human reason. And what a modern-day general would cause a modern-day general to scratch his head in confusion. We're going to consider the battle strategies of Jericho and then learn how this story so beautifully points to our Savior and the lessons we can learn. First, I'd like to give you a little perspective on God's perfect timing. I want to correlate how long God's promise took to come to this point. For those in this study last fall, we learned how the Israelites spied out the land, saw it was good, but were afraid of the large and seemingly fierce people. Ten of the spies gave a negative report, and the Lord told them to pack up and get back to the desert for 40 years. To put this time frame in perspective for you, 40 years ago, it was 1979, and the Three Mile Island nuclear accident had occurred. Margaret Thatcher was voted as the first woman prime minister in Great Britain. Michael Jackson's album Off the Wall was released, and ESPN, a brand new cable channel, aired for the first time. From the end of Genesis to the birth of Moses, 400 years passed, or 440 years ago from our, for our perspective today. At that time, Queen Elizabeth I was Queen of England and beginning an expansion of the British Empire through piracy and military domination. Sir Francis Drake landed on the coast of Cali and Sir Vaughan Hillmont discovered the boiling point of water. From the end of Genesis, when Jacob and all of his family settled in the land of Egypt, while his son Joseph was second in power to Pharaoh, back to the time of Abram, was a span of 220 years. For our perspective, that would be 1359. The French States General repudiates the terms of Second Treaty of London signed earlier between England and France. Edward III was King of England who led them into the Hundred Years' War, and for our purposes today, the Israelites are just about to step forward into a land promised them over 600 years before. I don't know any of that. I, I studied British history, and I don't remember any of this, so that doesn't have a lot. But that's, that is the time frame from, our point, from that point until now, a long time God's promise that he's keeping. Genesis 12, um, to 1 through 2, is that what I have up? Yeah. Um, 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you, are, you can be a blessing. We know next to nothing about the everyday lives of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Details of the human story begins once Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and God immediately had a plan for the rescue from the terrible journey they were about to begin. The Old Testament is that story, God's incredible plan to rescue us. He never forsakes us or leaves us in this despair, and we can be encouraged by this. Second Peter tells us, Second Peter 3, 8-9, they get it? I can't see it. These glasses don't let me see that, so let me know if I mess it up. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I hope this gives you a sense of time that has passed and the great significance of what the Israelites are about to undertake. The Israelites are now on the cusp of receiving what had been promised to them 660 years earlier. They'd been without a home country of their own, no leader, and had been subjected to slavery. Their recent memory was a pilgrimage in the desert because of their fear, faithlessness, and disobedience. They now are ready to receive the land that had been promised to them. But they must win that land. It is inhabited by the Canaanites, so much depends on their choices. We are now going to break chapters 5 through 6 into four sections so we can learn the significance of how God led his people and how what happened all those years ago has meaning for us now. And our first section of is we are marked. We are marked by the Lord. Joshua 5.1 begins by backing up Rahab's story of the kings being very afraid of the Israelites. It must have seemed to Joshua like this was their moment to move as a military force. The fighting courage of of those they needed to conquer was gone. It was time to move, right? Wrong. It was time by God's directive to completely disable the entire fighting force of all the males. Wait, what? Why? The Bible does story doesn't tell us that there was grumbling or discontent among the men. It tells us they obeyed. Isn't it ironic that the circumcised men of 40 years earlier had so much trouble living in faith and obeying? These men, under the leadership of Joshua, did as the Lord commanded. Why would circumcision be so important at this time? And we did discuss that at our tables today. No one had been circumcised in the desert. Why couldn't it wait a few more days, a month, or years until the land was conquered? When the Lord established the covenant with Abraham in Genesis, the sign of the covenant which set them apart was circumcision. Anyone not circumcised would be cut off from the people and no longer part of the covenant. If the Israelites were to go in and take the land promised in the covenant, they needed to be set apart. Until they were set apart, they still carried the reproach of Egypt. When they obeyed, that reproach was rolled away. Every man who was to go forward into battle for the Israelites was to have upon his body the mark of the covenant established with Abraham. That day, the place where they were circumcised was no longer called Gibeath Harloth, but Gilgal, which which means rolling. When the men of Israel submitted to the Abrahamic mark of the covenant, they rolled away the reproach of Egypt. 
So we know why we needed to. So we know why needed why they needed to prepare for battle in what seems to be in an unconventional way. But as our good friend of TBC Ray Vanderlaan likes to ask, why is it there? We have truths which point us to Christ. I think I can safely say with 100% assurance that none of us in this room this morning have been circumcised. <laughs> so, what can we take away from this portion of Scripture this morning? <laughs> no. <laughs> We're not going to go there, ladies. <laughs> in Ephesians 2, 11... through 12, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Just like those who did not bear the mark of circumcision in the Old Testament still carried reproach, before we become followers of Christ, we carry the reproach of our flesh, but we do not bear the mark of God in our flesh, in our hearts. And then in Romans, it says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit and not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. As followers of Christ, we carry a very distinctive mark that is evidence of our circumcision of the heart. And this is how that looks. In Colossians 3, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ in all and of all, is all and in all. Ladies, our mark before we enter our battle is carved in our hearts by the blood of Christ, not by a knife of flint on our physical bodies, just as the Israelites had no business entering Canaan and the battle at Jericho without that mark, we should remember we cannot fight the spiritual battle of this world without Christ's spirit. Then our next section is Jesus is the bread of life who sustains us and we must never forget that. The second pre-battle action was the Israelites celebrating Passover. Forty years earlier, they had celebrated Passover, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and received the stone tablets, and had tried to enter the Promised Land, as we all know, were were turned back to Rome. Here they are once again ready to enter, pre-battle. I couldn't help but remembering when my husband was getting ready to leave for Iraq at the beginning of the war. We were still somewhat raw from 9-11, but the political spatting had already begun. My husband was on the general staff of the, of the 4th ID, of the 4th Infantry Division, and part of the large ground forces after the initial fast strikes. Teams had done what they needed to do. Shortly before the division started to deploy, the commanding general, Raymond Odierno, hosted a ball. It was an intensely bittersweet event, sorry. (laughs) Because we all knew that not everyone in the room that night would be there for the celebrations when our soldiers returned. 
Some would be injured, killed, and some were relieved of command because of mis misconduct. We were on the eve of being tested. Who would rise to the challenge of what we faced in those days, months, and what became over a year-long deployment? I imagine the Israelites felt much the same way as they celebrated the first Passover in Canaan. Would they measure up as a people, individually, or would it be another 40 years in the desert? Wives wondered, just like those of us who were spouses sending our soldiers to Iraq, is if they kissed them goodbye to go to battle, would they feel the warmth of their lips on theirs again on this side of heaven? Did they steal themselves to do their part? Soldiers to march and wives to stay strong. What an easy time to go into fear, anxiety, and despair. The Passover they celebrated was an incredible reminder of what God does when he moves ahead of his people. It was a promise of a plan set into motion from the time of the fall. In my house, I keep a reminder of that night 17 years ago. We drank wine that night as well, but the glasses we raised and toast that night with our 4ID family was nothing compared to the glasses they raised as part of the Passover. The glasses raised during the meal were meant as a remembrance, but also pointed to Christ. In this section of Joshua also mentions three types of food that point to Christ, which are worth considering. First is the lamb consumed during the Passover feast, which represents Jesus' death for us on the cross. Second is the manna, as Jesus shows us in John 6, 32 through 33. Truly, truly, I say unto you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In his commentary, H.A. Ironside wrote how the manna points us to Christ. The manna occupied so low a place in every... To, in so low a place that every Israelite, when he stepped out of his tent door in the morning, had to do one of two things. He either had to gather it or trample on it. And this is exactly the place where our Lord Jesus has, take, has taken in his infinite love and grace. We may well pause and ask ourselves this question. Are we trampling on his loving kindness or have we received him as our blessed and adored Savior? The final food for thought in this section is the type of Christ is old grain. In John 12, 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The Israelites had not sowed grain to make bread. They had been fed manna for 40 years when they entered the land. The Israelites were able to eat the parched dead grain and it sustains them. Let them live. This reminds us of our Lord who led who had to die in order to sustain life in us. He fell to the earth in death in order for us to live. Our next section is Christ is sovereign over us. The drama now starts to build as Joshua goes to reconnoiter and meets the captain of the Lord's host. It is an understatement to say the battle plan is astounding by modern military um, tactics. But I would venture to say that the battle plan given to Joshua by his commander seemed unconventional to him as well. Can you imagine with me Joshua walking up to the commander of the Lord's host? Don't think this appeared to be as two people passing by chance on road. The stranger Joshua met was standing, not walking, and his sword was drawn as told in 513. Just so you get a picture of what this, well, and I was going to bring a sword. My husband, the doctors in Iraq that he worked with gave him a sword and I was going to bring it and draw it, but I forgot to bring it. So 
picture me up here with a sword. <laughs> I think I might have been a tad bit uncomfortable meeting someone with their sword drawn, or as our soldiers say today, in their full battle rattle. And then when Joshua asked if he was friend or foe, Joshua finds he's neither. When commanded to take off his shoes, Joshua does, does, does so because he's beginning to understand just who he's met. Ladies, I would, like to, I would like to look at the unusual answer the commander at Oris 6-1 tells us, the Lord, when asked if he is friend or foe. It is important to understand that Joshua's comprehension and acceptance of, of this is why he succeeds in Jericho. The commander is not on Joshua's side. It is up for Joshua to be on the Lord's side. The Lord who was called appointed and equipped Joshua to lead the Israelites for the conquest of Canaan. We have the same decision to make. It is not up for us to demand or to ask of the Lord, are you Democrat or Republican? Are you black or white? Are you for America or not? It is our responsibility to be on the Lord's side according to his word and his leading. And in Galatians, it tells us, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And you are Christ then. You are, and you are Christ then. You are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Dale Ralph Davis in his Joshua commentary also summed it up very well. Sometimes we need to see that Yahweh is not so much partisan as sovereign, that it is more important to recognize God's position than to know God's plan. We can easily become more interested in special guidance than in right relationship with the guide. This mindset in kingdom work is subtle but crucial. We need to stay focused on those activities the Lord would have us engage. The Israelites succeeded in battle of Jericho because they obey the plan given to them by the Lord. Francis Schaeffer in his book, Joshua and the Flow of Biblical History, relates some interesting archaeological facts regarding Jericho. In 624, the text tells us after Jessica... Jericho fell, it was totally burned. It was not plundered. Everything was left just where it fell. In order to give themselves enough food for a siege, Jericho had large stores of grain. When the Israelites burned the city, the top was scorched and underneath the grain remained viable. Such grain has been found, planted, and grown. What an act of faith by the Israelites. They had been in the desert for 40 years and themselves had no stockpiles of grain. The manna had just recently ceased. Wouldn't it be logical to take that large store of grain and use it for themselves? But the Lord had commanded them to leave it. Jericho was a sign of fruit, first fruits and was dedicated to the Lord. Our next section that we're going to look at then is Jesus defines our worth not the world. We're going to spend our last few minutes considering Rahab's story. I'm assuming in your homework and in your table discussions, you reviewed and discussed that Rahab was in Jesus's genealogy as told in Ruth and Matthew. We're going to consider Rahab's story with the purpose of looking for Christ. How does a harlot prostitute point to Christ? Let's look at two scriptures to get started. The first one from Hebrews. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then in James, and in the same way, 
Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them by another way? Rahab's faith and action spurred by her faith saved her and her family from death when the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho perished. With eyes of faith, she honestly looked at what was happening with the people of Israel being led by a great God. With eyes of faith, Rahab saw the people of Jericho respond in fear. With a faithful heart, she chose to help the spies. She had to betray the townspeople of her town or betray the spies, and it was in faith she chose to help the spies who served the powerful God. Rahab was justified when she hid the spies. Rahab was justified when she gave the spy directions so they could avoid their pursuers. Rahab was justified when she obediently hung the scarlet cord in her window. Rahab was justified when she aligned herself with the Israelites and left with them. Before the Israelites came to Jericho, Rahab used her body for survival. The mark she carried of this life was a marginalized member of society who was used and then put aside when she was no longer useful or needed. After her encounter with God, she became a part of the community that kept their word to her and carried that mark of God on their bodies and in their hearts, a community that included and welcomed her when she no longer had a community. In that little town of Jericho, there was only one person, a woman who was a prostitute that saw God when he made himself so very evident with the plagues, Red Sea, manna, and the Jordan River, to name just some of the ways God revealed himself to the people of Israel and to those in the land of Canaan. The people of Jericho got no further than their fear and locked their gates. Rahab looked with eyes of faith, responded in faith, and locked in her heart the resolve to stay the course when the walls fell around her. Rahab was not just given sanctuary, she was given a place in her chosen community. Jesus, Rahab's heir, has done the same for us. The world does not define who you are when you become his. Our gracious dear Lord does that. Friends, let's follow Rahab's example with eyes of faith of what God is teaching, calling, and leading us to do. Are you asking those friends who have been on your mind to lunch or giving them a call? What has the Lord called you to do this session? If you're like me, it's easy to just start filling the blanks in your homework rather than focus on what it is the Lord would have you learn. How sweet it is to sit down and fellowship with the Lord through reading his word and prayer. What do we miss when we don't have eyes of faith that spur us on into action? We are the people of God Almighty, marked as his with his spirit in our hearts. Jesus is a bread of life who sustains us. Christ is sovereign over us. We get in behind and follow. Jesus defines our worth, not the world. We need to remember that this is not just something we need to remember about ourselves, but for all others who are Christ followers. The last few weeks have been difficult here at TBC. There has been testimony after testimony about the great things God has done for the DeSalvo family and others in his body. And change is hard. Are we going to be a church body in fear of change, yearning for the days of old and shut the gates of our hearts and wait for the attack? Or will we look with eyes of faith for our captain who has his sword drawn for us? Second Peter ends with words that should be a great encouragement to us. 
They encouraged the Christians Peter was writing, just as Rahab was encouraged by the spies. And this was just popped off the page when I read this and, and putting this in perspective with, what, with Rahab and what she learned. And it's 2 Peter 3. It's a long section, so bear with it. Bear with me. Please do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will, the heaven, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, with you, wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the scriptures to their own destruction. Why are we living this today, ladies? We are living this today. Oh, I think I forgot to, Sorry. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your own secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen and amen. There's a song that we've sung during, do we have time? No, we don't. Okay. There's a song that we've sung during worship recently called Do It Again. We want the Lord to continue to bless us, this church at TBC. We want him to help us to prosper and to grow just like the Israelites did. He, we want our victories, but we need to remember that those victories cannot be by the world's standards. We need to face the future bravely as a church body, as, as women, and as his people. Joshua 5 through 6 points us to the reality that our victory is within Christ's sovereignty. When we lift our voices singing those words, our mindset should not, should not be a repeat of glory for ourselves, but glory for a loving, patient, and gracious Heavenly Father. And that we sing those words like we mean it. If we want our Father to do it again, we need to remember these lessons from Joshua 5 and 6. That we are, that we are the people of God Almighty, marked by his spirit. We must never forget Jesus is the bread of life who sustains us, and Jesus is sovereign over us, and we get him behind and follow. Jesus defines our worth and not the world. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for, in spite of faltering lips and a dry mouth, Lord, that your truth can come through, and I just ask, Father, that we take these lessons, that we take your word, your truth to those that we know and those that need to hear these words as well. Help us to be a light in temple. Help us to be your women this day and always. And to you, all glory be. In your name I pray.
Amen. Thanks for your happy face. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me change to come knowing the battles won for you have never failed me yet your promise still stands great is your faithfulness faithfulness Still in your hands This is my confidence You've never failed me
Now 